Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. It's good to be together today, especially for me at least, to pick up in our series on the Gospel of John, a series we've entitled, Jesus Changes Everything. A series most recently that we've seen in how Jesus changes servanthood. Last week, looking at John 13, we saw how servanthood, rather than the lowest form of human existence, is in fact the crown of kings, because it's how the king of kings decided to crown himself. And therefore, the bend in our backs we saw ought to reflect the bend in the back of Jesus, kneeling to, to get into the, to the filth of each other's lives and washing each other with the truth of God's word. Ultimately, because it's a reflection of what Jesus is about to do in this gospel in bending his lowest to wash us on the cross. That's the the pattern of servanthood, a, a pattern to which Jesus calls us to conform, saying, as I've done, so should you do. But the pattern alone isn't enough. Because left to ourselves, this isn't a pattern to which we many times want to conform. Just raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. This isn't often a pattern we want to conform to. Even more so, this isn't a pattern that we often can conform to. Because left to ourselves, this isn't really a pattern we can carry on by ourselves. Jesus can deal with the filth of life, but I'm not really good at that in and of myself, dealing with my filth or the filth of anybody else. And so picking up from where we left off last week, more than the pattern, today we're going to turn our attention to the power that lies behind it. And that's a really encouraging thing. That there is a a power that lies behind the pattern of servanthood. But before we turn to our passage today, where we'll be picking up in chapter 13, verse 36, before we turn to our passage today, let's just turn to take a moment to turn to God. Join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, the words of this passage, the words spoken by your Son, are profound. What they speak of is more profound still, and even more so in the context of this call to servanthood. Because it is a call that we cannot answer on our own. The face value of washing each other's feet is repulsive enough. But what lies beneath that, that this call to wash each other's feet is in fact a call to dig into the depths of our depravity, that is a task for which we are entirely incapable. 
So as profound as these words are, I ask today, Lord, that we would understand them better than we have before. And and not only understand, but experience a measure of them that, that we might answer this impossible call to love each other like you've loved us because you've loved us in Jesus. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Well, I was reminded this week of the story of a little girl who who was at a doctor's office for her annual checkup. And the doctor, um, while there, was doing what doctors do, uh, breaking down the barriers between himself and this young patient. And so when he was about to look into her ear with his little device, he he asked her, "Um, who do you think I'm going to find? A cookie monster? She remained stone cold silent. So he proceeded, and, and, and as he was about to look down her throat, he said, he said who do you think I'm going to find? Mickey Mouse? And she didn't budge at all. She, she, she kept her straight face silence and all. And, and finally, he took out his stethoscope and warmed it up and was about to, to press it to her chest and asked, who do you think I'm going to hear when I listen to your heart? Do you think I'll hear Barney? which she finally broke her silence and said, oh no, Jesus is in my heart. Barney is on my underwear. (laughs) I told the kids that this morning. If I have a joke, I tell it to the kids on the way over. They thought I was talking about Barney Fife (laughs) from, uh, (laughs) from, yeah, it wasn't Barney Fife. The purple dinosaur. (laughs) The purple dinosaur. Well, it's the perfect segue, though, into our passage today, because the power that lies behind the pattern of servanthood laid out in chapter 13, that that is, in fact, the power that lies behind the whole of the Christian life, is not a power we possess in and of ourselves, but rather a power we possess because Jesus has secured the right to take up residence in our hearts. That's the power. And far more powerful than a picture of Barney stamped on some kid's underwear. Far more powerful. It is from this position inside of us that, that, that Jesus is able to do through us what we aren't otherwise able to do for ourselves. Dealing with the filth in our own lives, and then using us to deal with the filth in the lives of others. This is the power, and and we'll see that in our passage today, that this power that lies behind the Christian life is finally Christ dwelling inside of us. But we'll also see that before dwelling inside of us, this power stems from our being able to dwell once again in relationship to God. And that we dwell with God by first dwelling in Jesus. That's where we're going to go today. Dwelling in Jesus, that we might dwell again with God, that ultimately Jesus might dwell in us. First, 
then that, that this power, though, comes, begins with our dwelling in Jesus. And it's worth seeing where this all begins after saying to the disciples, as I've done, so should you do. Jesus mentions that as much as he wants them to follow his example, washing each other's feet, bathing each other with the truth of God's word, they're not finally able to follow him where he's going. That's where the break comes in. And and quite naturally, this raises the question posed by Peter in verse 36, Lord, where are you going? We didn't know you were leaving. We knew that the Jews couldn't follow wherever you were headed. We didn't know we couldn't follow either. So where are you going? But Jesus isn't ready to give Peter the answer he was looking for. So instead, Jesus says, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow afterward. And for Peter, Jesus is probably looking forward to the day Peter will die on a cross of his own. We'll get there later in the gospel. Jesus knew what was coming for Peter. He would follow in more ways than one. But not just yet. Not just yet. And Peter keeps on pressing with this rather opaque answer. He says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And this is where Jesus makes the point that we're not not at all as powerful as as we think we are. And the way the the passage unfolds leads me to believe that Jesus is thinking here both in terms of our ability to serve Him, lay down our life for Him, and in terms of our ability to do that by serving others. We don't have what it takes. We can't do it on our own, which isn't is what's encapsulated in this brief foreshadowing of Peter's denial that's just over the next horizon. Will you, Jesus says, lay down your life for me, Peter? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Right over the horizon. You're not as powerful as you think you are. You don't have what it takes like you think you do. And yet Jesus focus isn't on our lack of power, but rather on the power we find in him. That's where he turns next, when he turns from addressing just Peter to then addressing the disciples collectively. The shift happens in in chapter 14, verse 1. And Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Not in yourselves, to do what you think you can do on your own. You can't. You can't serve me, and you certainly can't do what I just called you to, to serve others on your own. You won't do it. You're more like Judas, who only walks away. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And what God does, and what God does through me. And then he gives them the reason. Look at verse 2. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Even if you don't think so. You know the way. Now, this raises some other questions as we'll see in a moment. 
But I want you to hear what Jesus is saying here. I, I imagine for, for anyone familiar with this statement about Jesus going to prepare a place for you and of his father's house having many rooms, or, or, or maybe you grew up on the old King James and, and you learned it that, that in his father's house there were many mansions. You ever read the old King James for that? I imagine that, that, that for anybody familiar with this passage, what comes to mind are the streets of gold talked about in Revelation. Raise your hand. Anybody want to admit? That's what I think about. It's the streets of gold in Revelation. It's the pearly gates. It's St. Peter meeting you on the, the way into heaven and ushering you onto whatever 43-acre plot of land that's set aside for you and, and that mansion, right? The driveway lined with statues probably of yourself and, and, and that's where you're going, right? And the only question is, Right? With that framework in mind, is who is it that ended up next door? And then for some of us, how many doors down did our mother in law end up? And you don't have to admit that. Um, don't admit that. Especially if your mother in law is in the audience. <laughs> but I just want you to set that aside for a moment and look at what Jesus is saying. Notice that he's talking first about a single place with many rooms. So we don't get our own mansion. This is not what he's talking about. That may be the case, but that's not what he's talking about. It's a single place with many rooms, many dwellings, many, some have translated it apartments. Isn't quite as nice as a mansion, but hey, what do you do? And he's talking second about the place though, that he will prepare by going to the cross where his disciples can't follow. But he's talking also about a place they will dwell which will empower them in some sense to lay down their lives for him like they can't do otherwise. And in the context of what we just looked at last week, that will empower them to even more particularly do so, lay down their lives for Jesus by laying down their lives for others. This is what that place is all about. And it's a place He will take them to when He comes again. Which in John isn't really ever when he comes again at the end of the age. It's when he comes again and walks out of the empty tomb. So when he talks about preparing a place to then take them to himself, he's in fact talking about himself. And what I want to suggest to you today is that the place Jesus went to prepare for you was prepared on the cross and isn't your heavenly home. As much as that's been prepared from eternity past, but that He went to prepare the place of His own body. So there's only one other time, see? There's only one other time Jesus in this gospel is ever talking about his father's house. Do you remember? It's way back in chapter 2 when he came 
to clear the temple. And if you remember that story, when he's sitting there and, and the Jews of that time who witnessed the clearing of that temple asked for a sign for what, what gave him the right to do this. Jesus said, destroy this place and I will raise it up in three days. And John is quick to clarify that he was talking about the temple of his body. So the power, the power to live life, the power to to, to sacrifice on behalf of Christ and to do so on behalf of each other, to get into the filth of each other's lives, and in fact to have the filth of our own lives dealt with, isn't a power that we have to wait for for eternity. It's a power in which we dwell today by faith in Jesus Christ if we dwell in Christ. It begins with His making it possible for us to take up residence in Him. And He does it on the cross. So as much as we're called in chapter 13 to to look to the cross as an example, as our example of what we should be doing, an example that's far outside our reach to fulfill, we're called here to look to the cross also, not just as the pattern, but as the power behind it. And that means that we can understand the answers Jesus gives to the questions that follow even better than those who ask the questions. The disciples leave just confused by the end of all of this. They don't really make it through the night all that well. But this side of the cross allows us to understand what Jesus is saying even better than they did. But here we move beyond just our dwelling in Jesus, that this is the beginning of this power, to seeing, second, that our dwelling in Jesus is the key to our dwelling again in relationship to God. So Thomas says in verse 5, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? To which Jesus responds with this incredible statement, you do know the way because I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. And that's what dwelling in Jesus is all about. That, that dwelling in Jesus, we are able to dwell again in relationship to God. Because this power is about reconnecting us with the power that resides behind the world in which we live stretched from one side of the universe to the other. It's about a God power that comes with getting back to God through the work of God's Son. Only through Jesus. The life. Who gave life in the very beginning and has been the resurrection in the life ever since. Who's the truth showing us God and the grace needed to get back to God. And so He's the way. But not just the way when He comes on the clouds. But the way when He walks out of the tomb. When the work of the cross is sealed with the work of the resurrection. It's in Christ. 
which is an idea you find all over the New Testament. You know this. If you've, if you've been around enough, you've heard this. That when we are found in Christ, we, we find ourselves back in relationship with God. So, so the Apostle Paul will say that in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And it's all about our relationship to God. Foreknown, predestined, adopted into the family of God. That's the power. Philip will say in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for you. You may be leaving, but please, at least show us the Father. To which Jesus replies, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Words and works. Surely Jesus is talking as much here as anywhere else about the the works that point forward to the cleansing power of the cross. So He says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. This is the type of relationship we have. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Greater, not in the sense that that we're going to outdo Jesus. Shouldn't aim to outdo Jesus. Or even do such things without Jesus, but greater in the sense that under Jesus, we're going to carry out what Jesus does on the cross. That's the greater works. That that when we're back in relationship with God, and when being back in relationship with God is possible, we'll get to experience everything Jesus is pointing to. All the other works that we've seen up to this point. That we will know the truth of it experience the truth of it because we will be living in the truth of it knowing god like we've never known before and we'll even get to play the part in that as we wash each other with the word ourselves which interestingly right has at the center of it what jesus did to wash us on the cross So that's what it means to serve one another. It's to push each other back to the cross, to the grace of the cross. It's always to the cross. Law is only ever introduced to push us to the cross. And the cross is what transforms us to fulfill what the law expected in the first place. Because it's been fulfilled in Jesus. But as much as the power behind the cross, the Christian life, begins with our dwelling in Jesus, preparing a place for us in himself, and as much as dwelling in Jesus allows us once again to dwell in relationship to God, which makes it possible for us to participate in mending other relationships, like we said, this power is third, finally, most significantly Jesus dwelling inside of us. And before we look at this in in this passage, 
Just think for a minute about how significant this is. Jesus dwelling in us. Since the very dawn of human history, we've been separated from God. And even when God decided to dwell among us in that history, He always did so in a a way that maintained the distance. Think of the, the tabernacle. Think of the temple. But then in Jesus, the distance was done away with. And and yet, as much as in Jesus, God dwelt with us skin on skin, there was always still a distance between Jesus out there and the filth of my heart in here. But Jesus went all the way to the cross to deal with the depravity, to deal with the filth, to prepare a place for us, to to dwell in Him and to thereby dwell with the Father, that we might dwell again with the Father. And in so doing, Jesus secured the right to dwell in us. And that is utterly astounding. Because I know I have a taste of what it's like to live with me. You can ask Catherine later. I know what that's like. I know where I go. I know what's wrong with me. And yet here's the God of the universe who made me to begin with and is willing to stoop low enough not only to die on my behalf, but then to dwell in my heart. And this is what Jesus says it's all about. He says in verse 13, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. For that purpose, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Whatever you ask in my name. Whatever you ask. But remember, he's talking about our doing those greater works. So so this isn't an open invitation to get our wish list on the table. If that's what you're after, you're in the wrong brand of Christianity. In fact, you're probably outside the brand of Christianity at that point, if that's what you're after. Because when Jesus says, whatever you ask, it's actually an invitation to make the absolutely ridiculous request that Jesus would dwell inside of us. That's what you ought to want. That's the wish list. To ask for the one thing we need most to carry out His command to love one another, to again wash each other with the Word, and in a sense to be washed ourselves, that He would dwell in us. So He says again in verse 14, If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Done by definition. It's the way it is. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because, verse 16, when we make the ridiculous request for him to dwell inside of us, Jesus says then, I will ask the Father. You ask me, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be at that time in you. 
And in a sense, this is what the whole gospel has been aimed at. We're finally reaching the heart of it. That yes, washed, but even more so empowered to live a life we cannot live without Jesus. Ever since the very opening chapter when John the Baptist distinguished himself from Jesus saying, I baptize with water. But one who is coming after me, who was before me, he comes to baptize with the Holy Spirit. Because the cross is both the example we are called to follow and where Jesus secures the power for us to do so. A power that begins with his making a way for us to dwell in him. That dwelling in Him, we might dwell with God. That dwelling with God, Jesus might ultimately dwell in us. And to close, what I I want you to see is that because of the cross... We're invited to share today, and not just in eternity, the same relational dynamic shared between Jesus and the Father. Jesus had said, I am in the Father, surrendered to His will, and the Father is in me, empowering me to carry out my work. And look just quickly at verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. Because remember, that's where this all began. Where are you going? He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and this world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. And in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I in you. So that the power that drove Jesus to the cross and through suffering eventually lifted him up out of the grave is the power that he offers to us. That we might suffer on behalf of others. But that's not where the story ends. Because glory always follows the grave. Remember a few weeks ago, uh, Kath was preparing a meal at home. We were having people over that night, and she was struggling with one of our appliances. Real crisis moment. Real crisis moment. Called me up. I came home from work to sort this appliance out. Actually took this appliance apart. Uh, got real acquainted with the insides and how this thing worked, similar to even this passage, sort of unveiling how this all works. Once I realized everything was in working order, put the cap back on, put the thing back together, only to realize that at the end of the day, the plug was not in the socket. This is how it works. This is how it's meant to work. This is the cross. This is the power of the cross. That you might dwell in Jesus that Jesus ultimately might dwell in you. And I'd ask, you read, you could read through the rest of this chapter. It's uh, some pretty pressing diagnostics, 
some pretty pressing ways to evaluate life. If, if, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you, if you, if you knew me, you would, you would follow me. You would do the works that I do. You would, you would know. And it's meant to hit both sides. For those of us in whom God is at work, it's a reminder. So we, not like Peter, fall off into thinking that we're somehow going to do it for ourselves. Believe in God. Believe also in me. But if you find that that's not where you are, that the servanthood we looked at last week is not where you are, I'd encourage you to look to the same place. That that's where this all begins with. That you would likewise believe in Christ, trust in Christ, put your faith in Christ, and plug into the power. You in the outlet, the electricity flowing into you. Because this is the power of the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I so often find myself either like Judas, wanting to walk away, not wanting to get into the filth of other people's lives, often feeling my filth is too much for anybody to get into themselves. Sometimes I swing and feel like Peter, that I can do that and much more, that I would die for you of myself. Yet I pray for my own heart, I pray for us today that we would hear the words of your Son and that we would love Him, which I expect is just another way of saying that we would believe in Him, trust in Him, and put our faith in Him to do in us what we can't do for ourselves pray we would know that today. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible.org.